And this week our gospel is from the first chapter of the Gospel of John. The next day Jesus decided to go to Galilee. He found Philip and said to him, follow me. Now Philip was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. And Philip found Nathanael and said to him, We have found him about whom Moses in the law and the prophets wrote, Jesus, son of Joseph from Nazareth. Nathanael said to him, Can anything good come from Nazareth? Philip said to him, Come and see. And when Jesus saw Nathanael coming near him, he said of him, Here is truly an Israelite in whom there is no deceit. Nathanael asked him, where did you get to know me? And Jesus answered, I saw you under the fig tree before Philip called you. And Nathanael replied, Rabbi, you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. And Jesus answered, do you believe because I told you that I saw you under the fig tree? You will see greater things than these. And he said to him, very truly, I tell you, you will see heaven opened and the angels of God ascending and descending upon the son of man. The gospel of our Lord. John's gospel is sort of weird um, in an endearing way. We all have those weird, endearing relatives. No one's nodding. Maybe you're the weird, endearing relative. I don't know. Um, we get this. We get that some things are just a little different than other things, but not in a bad way. It's not normative. It's not good or bad. It is just different. And the other gospels are all called the sort of synoptic gospels. They follow the same kind of pattern, and they build off of each other, and they have similar stories. And remember, like, cute baby Jesus and the angels and the lambs and the manger, all that stuff is left behind in John. John gets down to the big existential spiritual theological questions about life. John is that like college roommate studying philosophy that just has to ask big questions and dig into to complicated things and finds it fascinating. And so John doesn't start off his gospel with baby Jesus and a manger and the Christmas story and all that stuff. John starts off with this treatise. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and, the, and it goes on and on about the Word, and there's this whole construct about how God is in all things in this big, beautiful, mysterious way, and somehow now in this new moment in Jesus. So then, this morning we get this first little story, one of our actual stories in John's Gospel, um, about people doing things that we can relate to and connect with, and this very first story starts off with what I think is probably one of the most human and relatable lines in most of John's Gospel. Um, these friends come to Nathaniel, they say, we have found the one. Presumably they were looking if they found something. Um, they come to him and they say, we have figured out what God is doing, how all this is going to get fixed, how God is breaking into this mess and starting to pull things back together. His name's Jesus. He's the son of Joseph. He's from Nazareth. And all of us have had this moment about something where we thought, what good can come from Nazareth? I grew up in Columbus, Ohio, home of the Ohio State University. My grandmother was a graduate of said The Ohio State University, and if you drive around any given weekend at any time of the year, it doesn't have to be football season, you will see more Ohio State flags out in front of houses than you will American flags. It is just that country, and I grew up hearing and culturated with what good can come from Michigan. Um, my dad, actually the rebel at heart, um, married a Michigander. We're a mixed family, I think his... His mom got over it pretty quickly, but 
There uh, are stories that when there's a home game at Ohio State, fans from Michigan will drive to Toledo. They will rent a car with Ohio plates before they make the rest of that two-hour journey because I've seen what happens if you have a car with Michigan plates after a game, win or lose. Uh, But that's mild. That's sort of funny. I think, too, we all have. We all have those things in the back of our heads where we say, oh, what good can come from that place, those people, that situation, that political affiliation, these beliefs. And it's so instinctual. I love that, that Nathaniel is approached by friends full of excitement and enthusiasm. They are trying to say, we have... We have cracked the code. We have figured this out. Something new is happening and changing. It is good news. We're so excited to share this with you. The first person that we came to go see and his first instinct is to say, oh, what good can come from there? And so often I think we have in our DNA, just by our upbringing, not intentionally, by the people that we're surrounded with, the narratives that are told, an expectation and understanding that it is okay to lump a bunch of people into this category or that category in order to write them off. To think that this ideology or that ideology is beyond uh, reproach or change or adaptation and should just be wholesale tossed out that certain kinds of people or certain kinds of thinking are just so different or, well, it's just not us. And so what good can come from it? I mean, that line from Nathaniel, I don't think is meant to be the place that we get stuck in John's gospel, but I think it is the the clue at the very beginning of this deep and, and sort of dense and theological and spiritually heavy treatise that this is good news for us. Us who, in the back of our minds, or maybe out loud, say things like, what good can come from that place? Nathaniel's from Cana. Cana is not Nazareth. Nazareth is sort of like the boondocks, and Cana is the slightly larger city. I mean, this is not even different countries or, or, or vastly different territories. These are neighbors. And we get that. We get the rivalry. We get all of the instincts to judge the people that are perhaps closest to us or that we play in football or, or whatever it might be uh, that raises those things to say, oh, well, it's okay to judge Duxbury. I'm sorry. Sorry. Some of you are. Um, or it is okay to look at Michigan and say, but the beginning of this gospel points out to the fact that that is part of who we are and what we do. And that is freeing. That is, that is good for us to step back and reflect in this new year that there are people and places right now that we are thinking, what well, good can come from this or that or them? And to hear that out loud and to see then what his friends do with it. Because they don't stay stuck there. They don't have a conversation on the merits about whether someone who's born in that place or in this way or to those people can do this thing. Instead, they say, come and see. Come check it out. I mean, that is the whole origin of John's gospel is that God is in this world from the beginning. God will be in this world through whatever comes after this. That God is so imbued and part of all things, especially in this particular moment in Jesus right in front of them, that you just have to come see. I mean, that is what it means to be Christians, to be followers of Christ. That is what it means to be the church now, is to just invite people to see in those places that all of our assumptions and judgments and 
and our bigotry and all that stuff that causes us to see others as less than human or to assume that God can't be part of this, to come and see that, in fact, God is surprising and ever-present. And so they say, come and see. And Nathaniel begrudgingly goes to see this guy from Nazareth. And then there's this other weird line. We have no context for it. I can guess we can have some subjecture. We can try to figure out what was going on. But for whatever reason, as Nathaniel approaches Jesus still with all the like, all right, what do you have to tell me? Still in that moment, skeptical, doubting, he's the other. Um, Jesus says, I saw you under the fig tree. We have no idea what that means. Um, I could try to like tell you that it's some illusion or allegory or metaphor. Or it was referring back to, we have no idea what that means. What we do know um, is that for whatever reason, that is the thing that causes Nathaniel to crack and to say, wait, how do you have any idea who I am? You ever had that moment where you were on the receiving end? <laughs> you were the other? You were the person that votes that way when everyone votes that way? You're the person that lives here when everyone else lives there. You're the person that's interested in this when everyone else is interested in that. And then suddenly, in a moment, in a conversation, that humanization occurs, that connection happens. And you realize, oh, I don't necessarily understand everything about the difference between the two of us and our perspectives, but I do recognize you as a human full of potential and goodness and love made as you're meant to be. I mean, it just cracks the ice. It just allows a little bit more conversation and understanding. I mean, Jesus in this moment says, I saw you, and Nathaniel starts to crack. He says, how do you know me at all. And then uh, this quick little back and forth that makes no sense to us, but made all the sense in the world to them. And Nathaniel suddenly says, all of these attributes of Jesus. Um, I don't know if we spend any time or catch any of these things, but suddenly he replies, Rabbi, son of God, king of Israel. I mean, in one false swoop, he has suddenly said, you are my teacher. You are our spiritual leader. You are the rightful king of the government and of the planet. I mean, this is not just seeing someone and sharing some superlatives about them. This is saying, oh, all of the things that I have followed and bought into and believed in and been forced to go along with, none of those things matter anymore. It is all about you. And somehow we get that from you. We're sitting under a fig tree. I mean, we don't know. No idea what that moment was, what that little aside, that little conversation was about, but we have experienced it. We have had people, uh, when we are at our most skeptical, at our most defensive, say just one or two things that clues us into the fact that they have seen us. They know something. Even if they weren't intimately involved in whatever that thing is, they got it. They understood it. It clicked. It connected. And it begins to change who we are. I mean, you got to step back. So all of these guys are in the middle of this sort of existential crisis. Um, have you ever, this is perfect for a new year, have you ever felt like you are just doing the same thing over and over and over again? Have you ever felt like you have the same job that you had last year and would probably maybe like to do something new? Your employer's not watching, I promise. Have you ever had that moment where you just wanted to learn something new, try something new? Like, I've always wanted to play the guitar. I just need to, like, pick it up this year. Like, you just need a shift and a change. 
Um, these guys that are in the beginning of John's gospel are not the kind of people that are supposed to be sitting and studying with a rabbi, studying scripture, trying to figure out when the Messiah is coming and these big heady things. That is the job of other people who sit in places and just think all day long. They are blue collar workers. They are dusty and dirty from working all day long. And there's this little illusion at the beginning of John's very dense theological, spiritual, hard sometimes to understand gospel, that it is these folks who are gathered together, wondering about these big questions in life, not with degrees or any personal authority or any particular penchant for this, other than they are curious and they care. It is these people gathered together trying to dig into what God is doing in the world that somehow discover and recognize God in their midst. I mean, it's this beautiful moment where we realize that, that they have been studying and wondering and having all these conversations on the side in their spare time, their free time, trying to figure out how this world is going to get better. I think we can relate. Most of us are not professional politicians. Thank the Lord. Most of us are not professional philosophers. Most of us are not professional theologians. Most of us are not professionally any kind of job or profession that is supposed to sit at 30,000 feet and figure out how to manipulate and control and affect everything for some kind of change. Most of us are like these initial disciples we see in John's gospel. We sit around and we care. That is who we are. We care about other people. We care about the language that we hear judging other people. We care about the state of this world and what we leave for our kids. We care about our neighbors getting up and feeling some sort of sense of purpose and that they're cared about in the morning. And we just are trying to figure out these questions because they are important to our day-to-day -day because they're interesting and we want to talk about something other than the weather for a change. I mean, these are the people that Jesus reveals himself to, people who are ordinary, normal, everyday people who care. And then what does that revelation do? In the middle of all of the political turmoil of their moment, in the middle of all of their juggling, their philosophizing with getting the work done that they have to get done to do a good job at what they do, in the middle of all of their questions and their lack of information and education to answer them, in the middle of all of that, Jesus comes and invites them to see God's presence in their midst. And that is enough. That is enough to set them on this whole new course their existential crisis that they're trying to figure out in their free time, all they needed was an invitation to come and see. I haven't had too many existential crises in life, crises. Um, I hope the same is true for you. Um, I did once, um, when I went off to college, I was gonna be a doctor. You know how that worked out. Um, I, I was amazed and in, in, in awe and loved everything about medicine. I loved that you could help people. I loved that you could make a lot of money. Um, and so I, you see how that worked out. So I go to college um, and I have my cousin as my first professor. Um, she is a neurobiologist and I had her for biology for bio majors. Um, and at the end of that three month period, I was heading home for Christmas and, and not in words so much, but with my grades, she said, maybe you should consider another career. <laughs> um, 
And I just remember, like, I had been thinking about doing this for so long, not in any practical way, clearly, if you looked at my science grades, but um, I, uh, in high school, had shadowed a bunch of different surgeons. I sat for six months, I sat with a pediatric neurosurgeon, sat in surgeries, um, like brain, brain surgery on kids, and was fascinated and, and loved everything about this, except apparently what's happening on like a molecular level. But, you know, anyway, fast forward, here I am, and I had had all these experiences, and I had amped up all of these expectations for myself about how my life was going to go and what I loved to do and what I was meant to do. And then it all came crashing down with a like C minus. And by, it was not pretty. Um, and I don't know about you, but there isn't like a playbook for that. There's no script for those moments where someone gets sick or, or dies or those moments where suddenly our job is not our job anymore. There's no script for those moments where we thought we knew how everything was going and then suddenly we get a little new information and we realize, oh, everything was not that way after all. There's no script. <laughs> In fact, there's a lot of, of wondering, is it me? There's a lot of conversation with other people. I just say this to all well-meaning adults in the world who have a little more perspective and say the most unhelpful thing in the middle of those existential moments. It'll all work out, it'll be fine. Like, yes, that is probably true most of the time. But if someone is in the middle of an existential crisis, you don't say, oh, don't worry about it. It'll be okay. You'll figure it out. I mean, we know this sense of longing, of looking for the next thing because something has fallen apart. And for me, I just sort of wandered around and said, what do I do now? I mean, this was the plan. This had been the plan all along. I don't have another plan um, and I met some friends in school, and, and they basically said, come and see. There's this little group, um, Wittenberg University, where Sarah and I went, has this chapel. It seats 2,000 people. It's like Noah's Ark upside down. It's this huge, big, cavernous kind of space. There's usually a um, weekly chapel once or twice a week for the community where everyone, and by everyone I mean about 15 people, gather together in a space that seats 2,000 for chapel at a college in the middle of the week. I mean, you can picture this. Um, it is this big, empty, cavernous, imposing space. Um, hadn't had a lot of desire to set foot or be present in that area because they never saw anyone else there. And someone I met said, oh, come, come on, whatever it was, like Monday night. We just hang out on Monday nights. And there's this little room in the back. And sure enough, um, a bunch of people, some of whom were in our wedding later, some of whom we still talk to um, on a weekly basis, were hanging out in this little room, all with our own little existential crises, all trying to figure out what it was that we were supposed to do next. But it was that one invitation, that come and see, just spend time in a different place with a new kind of agenda, that little moment that shifted and changed for a while, the trajectory of my life. And I know we have all had those moments where in the middle of our wonderings and our trying to figure out what's next, in the middle of our judgments, what good could come from that, where someone says, come and see, just come and see. Be in this space, judgment-free. Participate in these conversations, knowing you have something to add. Hear these words. However it was that Jesus was able to communicate this, I see you, and you are going to be okay. You are exactly as God means you to be. And this is our job as the church. It is to say to everyone around us, maybe sometimes ourselves in the middle of all those existential moments, come and see that you are 
blessed and beautiful, made in God's image. Come and see that there is not that place and this place. There is a big, beautiful creation knit together by God's creativity and love. And the best way to understand and truly know how creative and interesting God is, is to know different kinds of people and perspectives. I mean, in the middle of all of the stuff that we do and the things we think we need to accomplish, there is this reminder that it is enough for us to simply invite one another to participate in a conversation, in a place where we are able to step outside of ourselves and give thanks that we have another breath and another day. It is enough for us to invite people to come and see that they are not alone or different or or the other, but they are part of a beautiful and big and diverse community knit together by God with this gift of our presence. May we this year recognize that there are a lot of things we can do and a lot of things we can think and say. There are a lot of judgments that are going to pop into our heads. But at the end of the day, we are invited by God to come and see God's presence pulling us past and through all of those things into a beautiful new place that we all have a contribution to add, that we all have things to learn, we all have ways that we are going to grow, and we are all made in God's image, invited, included, to participate in whatever it is that comes next. Amen? As we continue in worship, we continue in this time of gathering together our gifts and our prayers. If you have prayers that you'd like to share this morning, I invite you to find a piece of paper in front of you um, to write those down and bring them to our basket in the front. We'll share those out loud together in a few moments. Also, if you have gifts or offering that you would like to share with God and one another through this place, I invite you to place those in an offering envelope. Um, You can bring those to the same basket or you can scan one of those QR codes and do both those things online. Um, And you might need to pass pens around. I noticed there's a bunch missing from places. You can share, right? We're good. Um, So let us continue in worship to gather together our gifts and our prayers.
As we continue in worship, we continue in this time of prayer. I invite you to find a position, a posture that's comfortable for you as we pray. We pray for mom and her recovery, for those who will provide her care, for the EB family who unexpectedly lost their mom, wife, and friend yesterday. We pray for Emma, for guidance in the moments that don't go as planned. We give thanks for all the come and see moments that open our minds and hearts to see God and each other, for all our college students returning to school, for a successful surgery for Rich, for Sandy and all those who need help, we pray for Erin on her birthday in heaven. For Frank, who seems to be healing from cancer with the help of our prayers. We pray for quick healing for those who have winter illnesses, for peace and love and happiness, for Lily and Mike struggling with their illness. We pray that we might learn from Martin Luther King Jr., a true follower of Jesus. For inner peace, for mom, for Andrew, for Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. and his wisdom about how to follow Christ in life, for new beginnings, for my mom's health and her joy for living. We pray for all those in bad situations, seeking guidance and hope. Extra blessings for next steps for the health of everyone, for our connectedness, and for us to hear God's voice in our hearts. Prayers of celebration for Austin's 15th birthday, for Parker's birthday, for safe travels for mom and dad, a friend's travel, that God's love and connection may be speak louder than our judgments and our hearts and actions. For mom's recovery, God is good, and thanksgiving for Frank's successful cancer treatment. Gracious God, trusting in you to whom we pray, we lift these prayers and those on our hearts to you as we say together. As we continue in worship, we continue this, with this meal, this reminder that Jesus pulls us together, reminds us that we are blessed and loved, fed and forgiven, that we are part of God's table. We are all included in this meal that even on the night in which he was betrayed, Jesus gathered his disciples, took bread, broke it, and gave thanks. Gave it to them saying, take, eat, this is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. That again after supper he took the cup, blessed it, gave thanks and gave it to them saying, take, drink, this is a new covenant, a new promise, shed in my blood for you and for all people, for the forgiveness of sin, drink this in remembrance of me. That as often as we eat of this bread and drink from this cup, we are reminded of Christ's presence and promise that nothing can separate us from God's grace and love. So gathered together with Christ's disciples throughout the ages, we pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. Forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. Save us from the time of trial and deliver us from evil. For the kingdom, the power, and the glory are yours, now and forever. Amen. These are the gifts of God for the people of God, and all are welcome to come and receive them. This morning I invite you to come and receive a piece of bread, a cup with grape juice, to leave those cups in the bowl as you return to your seats. 
And if you desire gluten-free communion this morning, to let me know as you come forward. And that is available also. Come, for all things are ready. Oh, who are thirsty?
invite you to stand as you're able and receive this blessing. May the body and blood of our Lord Jesus Christ strengthen you and keep you in God's grace. May we hear and share those words, come and see and be surprised what God reveals. As we say together, let us stay standing as we sing our final song. Stop. 
for 15 years and everyone still looks just as awkward clapping now as we did. Like, what would my grandmother think? Uh, may the peace of the Lord be with you always. Awesome. Let us share a sign of God's peace with one another as we go.